Hey, 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 hey Scott. Yeah. I got, I, 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 I got a question for you. Um, what day is today? Uh, it's either the best or the worst day of the year because it's uh, December 31st. It's New oh, Year's Eve. Oh, my God. We made it. <laughs> slum, slum, slum. Slum Gullion, we've got season two of the Slum Gullion, Jeff and Scott's girl host the Slum Gullion, I still don't know what that word means. Slum Gullion, we still got some guests on the Slum Gullion, we're not showing breasts on the Slum Gullion, should probably fade on the Slum Gullion, Slum Gullion. The drunks are out, the cops are out, and sci-fi is airing its Twilight Zone marathon, so it can mean only one thing. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. No, sorry, that was a couple months ago. It is indeed New Year's Eve 2017, and that can mean only one thing. We fucking got through 2017. I am Jeff Holland. Three time zones away from me is Scott Clevenger. Hello, Scott. How is the parade going past your house? They don't quite pass us. We are parade adjacent, although they often park the bomb squad truck in front of our building, which is, as you can imagine, uh, extremely reassuring. What a year this has been. I mean, we've had some messed up years before but truly on so many levels this year has been what's the word historic i was gonna say a clusterfuck but historic works this is our second annual year-end wrap-up and i remember the first year and we bitched a lot about 2016 and i think now oh you Poor, wide-eyed, naive little... If, 20, <laughs> if only you knew. If only if you knew only what, you what knew. 2017 had in store for you, you would have cut 2016 some slack, but... <laughs> but, 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 we are not here to bitch this year. We're not? We are not. We are not here to kvetch. We are not here to give in. Oh, no, my friends, because much like everyone says uh, that there is a resistance on the horizon. But, but, but we here at the Slum Gully and I believe are going to go on a much grander scale. We are not looking at political revolution. We are not looking at uh, at pop culture revolution. We are looking at the no bullshit revolution. I'm just going to say the no bullshit revolution has not been televised. Now, originally, I was doing this out of anger and viciousness, but now I am doing this out of George Carlin, watch the freak show greed, and I want to share this with people. May I share something with you, Scott? Oh, please, please do. Open up. I am here for you. All right, then. As we all know, in 2017, what is the best way to put it? Um, Shall we say the entertainment industry on a whole kind of failed us? 
2017 was the year that we quote unquote found out how evil and sexually harassing the entertainment industry is. Now, the reason why I bring this up is that, of course, everyone acted shocked that this was going on and quickly put certain people, shall we say, um, on the chopping block. Mm hmm. Certain people were put on the chopping block. And, of course, by the end of the year, um, you know, we were all distracted by the newest little shiny that kept us away from the fact that, well, let's face it, we all know this. Hollywood has known that it's a sexist prick for, um, well, since Hollywood has been around, shall we say? Yes. Because, once again, as I said in the dark power that corrupts your soul, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the people who think that the people who run Hollywood think that they are in control. The problem with control, if anybody has seen a bug's life, is that it falls quickly. Here's what I would like us to do, folks. Share this. I'm serious. And this isn't even that big of a deal. But this can hurt Hollywood right where it lives. Stop going to films opening weekend. I'm serious here, folks. And this isn't even just to send a message now. This is entirely just to fuck with the authority. Hollywood now believes, I mean, look at look at what AMC is thinking about now. AMC is thinking about charging different prices for seats in the same goddamn theater. Based on what? Um, popularity. You haven't seen this report? No. Oh, yeah, this is a big thing. AMC is thinking about charging more for the most popular seats in the theater in a same show. Well, that doesn't really surprise me, and it's not unprecedented. I mean, when I was a kid, you paid less to sit in the balcony than you did to sit in the ground floor of the orchestra. My grandmother talked about how you knew you were on a good date when she was a youngin. Because the boy sprang for an extra 15 cents or 25, whatever it was, to sit in the loges, which I guess were the um, the better upholstered seats in the theater. So that goes Playing way back. That goes Playing later. devil's advocate, yeah. So does um, so does systemic racism. I'm just saying. Sure, but that's free. <laughs> good call. Good that's call. But like I said. Once again, they're go they're they are going back to it, and they figure that they can now because we're all just sort of sidetracked by the various and other shinies. But like I said, I don't think that's Holly- it, Jeff. I don't think that's it. I think they okay. are. I there is there is a sense of panic out here. This was a really speaking of historicity. This was a very bad year at the box office, and, and it, theaters and theaters are getting squeezed just like production companies and distributors are getting squeezed and they're looking in turn to squeeze a few more nickels and dimes out of the audience any way they can. So it doesn't surprise me that they're looking, they're looking at, at charging more for, for individual seats because they were counting for the past few years, they got a boost from 3d and 3d is crashing. So that's not that's not going to turn out to be the the revenue stream that they were counting on. So this seems like one of the least outrageous ways 
uh, they might conceive. It's not as over the top as certain things. It's just one more thing. So, I mean, I, I, I say, I say again to the folks, once again, as we all know, they count on those opening fucking weekend dollars. They count on it. Take the power away. That's all I'm saying. Don't not go see the film. Go ahead and see the film. Just don't see it opening weekend. If this year scared them, scare them more next year. Take away their freaking opening weekend dollars. It would be nice if some big, huge conglomeration realized in 2017 that the the, 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 the millions of people out here actually do have more power than um, they want us to. Once again, uh, watch a bug's once again watch a bug's life. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that, but okay. I, uh, I Scott, you know what I mean. Yes, I do. I agree with you that there's a a uh, power imbalance. I don't necessarily agree that it's in Hollywood's favor. They are scared crapless. Fewer people are going to the movies. Home entertainment systems make uh, the movie going experience not obsolete, but not necessarily worth the trouble unless it's. The kind of high-value, big-ticket, tentpole extravaganza that tends to draw big crowds on opening weekends, which is why I have a feeling that as much as I agree with you, and we've been having this discussion really ever since the Weinstein thing broke, and and I understand how you feel, I don't think it's going to be affected because it's hard to get people out out of their houses for anything less than a, a major opening weekend simply because you want you don't want to be left out of the conversation. Or you don't have to worry about spoilers. But here's what here's my addendum to what you just said. This is what I would beg people to do. Uh, don't stay home on opening weekend. If there's a big film that you want to see, I agree with Jeff. Wait a week to see it. But go out that Friday or Saturday night anyway and go see go see an indie film. Go see ah. a small film at a at an art house or a local theater or something, uh, a drama or something that's not obvious, not obvious Oscar bait that you would ordinarily wait to see on cable, if at all. We don't want to lose movie theaters. And uh, they are, they're a vital part of American culture. And they, and they are one of the few things that get people off their ass and out of their homes and, and fight this trend toward solipsism and, and isolationism that, that social media feeds into. And I think movie theaters are a positive net uh, social good. And I would like to see them thrive, but I agree. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think we have to buy into this, the, the opening weekend spin of the roulette wheel, which, which controls uh, the distribution model for, for films now. In fact, if that weakened, that could only be good for everybody because now they, they suck up all of the oxygen as far as advertising dollars, as far as theaters, uh, as far as screens, and they crowd out smaller films. People say, why don't they make films like they did in the 70s? Well, part of the reason is because that one film they made in the 70s, Jaws, and then that other film they made in the 70s, Star Wars, uh, that kind of killed the other films that they made in the 70s. But all, you know, even in the... Like two- one from the heart. <laughs> Granted, that was a mercy killing. <laughs> And no one's going to get that joke. Uh, I got it. Who else is? Who else matters? You got a point, Scott. You got a point. But no, I, that's just. I, I freely admit, you know, and for me, it's it's entirely just a. I I am 
Okay, it's actually, I'm, I know this sounds bad, but I'm glad to hear you say that they're kind of scared out there because I want them to be scared. I want certain people to be scared. This is just me, and I freely admit this is me being petty because I'm thinking, you've kept this bullshit going on for decades. You deserve a little nymph. So if they're getting a little oomph out of this, good, more power to them. They're, they're not they're not feeling powerful out here. They they, they don't, and, and they never do. And part of the, part of the reason you see... Behavior like this, men abusing their position, is because they are scared little pricks who know that they could be gone tomorrow. As many perks as their job has, as much power as they seem to wield, uh, those positions are all very temporary. Uh, production executives come and go. It, and what? And what did I? And what did I say before? Those who get power do not wish to lose it. But they do. I mean, think about. Harvey Weinstein, that's in some ways unique, is that he had his own little fiefdom. He played in a different realm. Harvey Weinstein was not subject to um, some big corporate board in Japan or New York. I mean, he was, uh, I'm sure he had a fiduciary duty to whoever his investors were, but he called the shots. So he was not, he was one of the few who was not in a, in a uh, insecure or precarious position. He so he he had a lengthy reign of terror, but most right. most uh production executives honestly they come and go. They're all The thing about studio executives and I think this may have been said by uh the Reno 911 guys uh Tom Lennon and Ben Garant in a book they wrote about screenwriting. Studio heads and major production executives their job is not to make movies. Their job is to not get fired from their job. So when they hire a screenwriter, they're not necessarily hiring you to make this movie better. They're hiring you to help them not get fired. Because the average studio executive's career rivals the lifespan of the Mayfly. And that's part of the reasons they make these very cowardly decisions about motion pictures, green lighting. Uh, reboots and remakes and sequels, etc., and always hedging their bets with with known properties, and really avoiding any kind of uh, risk taking. And then on the other hand, we have these this uh, epidemic of sexual impropriety, and a lot of that is traced not to studio executives because those people already are under a microscope. Most of the the accused are on screen talent in television or motion pictures. Some behind the scenes people. Some people are, are still trying to run the casting couch, but that's that's a pretty old fashioned uh, concept, thank, thankfully. And I think Harvey Weinstein, because of his position, because he was not answerable to um, to higher ups and could get away with this. And there was really no one to say him nay until it became a matter of public record. I think he's an actual dinosaur, uh, along with guys like Roger Ailes at Fox News, who also had no real direct superior and was free to treat the entire network as a dating service. They're both examples of a, a species that's on the verge of extinction, if only because they have turned from money-making machines into just another drag on the bottom line. They are costing the various networks and their various stockholders money for settlements. And in this penny-pinching, profit-maximizing time, they have made themselves finally a liability. And as we know, nothing gets done in the society, no matter how just and necessary, 
until it threatens somebody's income. So, but I, I I freely admit, like like you said, I've been I've made comments since the Weinstein thing is joking around how I'm not seeing things opening weekend. Let me rephrase that: I'm not paying for things opening weekend. Right, which which <laughs> is the same. Which know, is the same I, thing. I've been. I, you know, I mean, I freely admit I, it's 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 I, I feel like you know, some people were saying, hey, wait, man, you saw Jedi early. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't pay for it. You, you saw, I did not spend the money. Yeah. Going to a screening is a different thing, because if anything, that costs the money. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, I've been I am thoroughly fine you know i've discovered ditching the um opening weekend buzz it was fairly easy to get out of the i don't want to spend the money right and you know i have one buddy i have one buddy that i really see most of my films with and he's perfectly fine you know waiting opening weekend to we go on the discount day now right well two things about that i mean one i rarely used to go uh to anything on opening weekend, if I saw something early in its run, it's because I also got into a screening. Being a film critic for so long, I was bad. I would see everything in the right. theaters. And, I had to. And until and until we started doing um, the show regularly, I, I wasn't concerned about seeing films early on. And then it became a matter of, oh, well, we'll probably want to talk about it while it's still a topic of conversation. So I've gotten in the habit of going um, to see things on right. opening weekend. Gen- but you know, you, you you say you were you were joking, and yes, you have made jokes. But I will just I will and if I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn by saying this, by by talking about conversations we've had off mic, but when you said this, you weren't making jokes. You were mad. This is a moral issue for you. And it, it, I it, it, I do yeah. res- I do respect that. And and that's why um sometimes when I said, Well, we, we, we kinda need to see this, you know, what's the earliest you can right. you can morally see this film because I know you're you're taking a stand and I know you're angry. Now I have it. Now I do, and now it is officially. I I just I just want to sit back, and it would be awesome to cause a little minor carnage because yeah, I I this year I have just been so disgusted with people in positions of power everywhere. I pick a place, pick a place everywhere you look. Positions of power were just fucking horrible wow. this year you were that is yes you are absolutely right that is so true and so sad it's it's tragic because it's true yeah exactly well, thank but you. that is not why we are here today oh no no i do not want to spend the bulk of this like we have done bitching so so i came up with a challenge for scott and this was indeed a challenge scott said it would be a challenge and he was right because i know it was for me um t- today's end of the year discussion scott and i have picked three things Three things that, in spite of everything, made us glad to be alive in 2017. We actually, well, I found three things. Did you find three things, Scott? I found two things that made me glad uh, to be alive, and I found one thing that made me okay with not being dead. Okay, that 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 is acceptable. Um, I am actually going to get the ball rolling because I think you will appreciate this one, Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first thing, one of the first things that actually happened in 2017 that, looking back on things, made make me glad to be alive is the fact that superhero films to me have become good films. 
Yes. Up until this year, superhero films for me have always been a genre much like uh, what I would call the summer films. Not necessarily good films, but they are fun films that you can sit down, have popcorn to, enjoy and walk out going, Matt, that was a good piece of meat, and then promptly forget about it, you know, like 20 minutes later. Like most of the Marvel Cinematic Films. But this year, something fucking weird happened. Um, Logan happened, mm. which is the first superhero film that I wouldn't even call a superhero film, but made me cry like a baby at the end of it. Oh, it I made caught, me openly weep. I caught the end of it last night. It was on cable. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to watch this. It's just going to make me cry. And I, I, haven't even, I won't even get to see the whole movie. I mean, you feel okay crying when you've witnessed the entire narrative and, and the weight of it's right. sort of pressing on your tear ducts. And there she is. There she is standing over his grave, quoting Shane oh, and, and turning the cross on its side. So it's an X and I'm just. Uh, it, yeah. Exactly. And now, now, honestly, we can go back a little even farther for that. For me, for me, it started with Deadpool, which I don't care if it's a fourth wall breaking comedy. It's got one of the best romances I have ever seen in a film because you genuinely care about the two lead characters. Yes, they're but, usually so disposable or obligatory it's like well we have to have a love interest and because the that element of the story is stuck is plugged in and fully modular usually you have a, you have a disposable or interchangeable female lead marina bakaran's vanessa was every bit as unique a character and every bit as as wade wilson and every bit a match for him and just just as funny and twisted in her own way and you wanted them to get together because not because oh they're two pretty people and that's that's what we're conditioned to like in a romantic comedy which which i i to, me, true. That, to me that's what deadpool is but because good grief if these two don't get together they'll never find anybody else right and <laughs> they shouldn't neither one of them should be with anybody normal it wouldn't be safe <laughs> but it really started with that. But then, like I said, then Logan came around, which is the first superhero film, if you want to call it that, that made me cry. And then Wonder Woman came out, which is just a great fucking film. Yep. It is just a, a, a brilliant movie. It's not just a good superhero film. It is a good film. And this was the year that superhero films became an actual film. I mean, good films to me, as opposed to just examples of their own subgenre, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And, and I know this is this is something we we don't agree on because yeah. and, and it's I think I don't think it's it's aesthetics so much as it is a differential in fandom because I am programmed to enjoy these and they have to go out of their way uh, to fail or annoy me. Uh, I would go farther back. I think uh, Winter Soldier was the first superhero film that I thought, oh, this is actually a good movie regardless of the fact that, that it has superheroes in it. Although the superheroes it has in it are the more low-key ones, the less fantastical, world-beating, uh, overpowered demigods. So there is more of a, a focus on plot and intrigue. But it, there was enough meat to it that... that it allowed the actors to give some very decent performances. I think, to me, the, the the first film that was unequivocally a superhero film and also astonishingly good on its own terms was Doctor Strange. 
Yeah, and we all, we uh, long-time listeners know how much of a linchpin that film was for me. Right. <laughs> um, and and that, how much of that, it was, I mean, it's funny, I went back to to listen to an early show. Um, I, I had uh, an idea a couple months ago that since this was, this was around, it was the second anniversary, oh, we should, you know, we should do kind of a retrospective and maybe I'll find some things we talked about and see how they panned out. Um, and then this year just proceeded to kick my ass. And I had yeah. no energy for that, but yeah, I one of the earliest shows, you know what? It was the pilot because I did go back and listen to the pilot uh, for the for the Slum Guyan, which which longtime listeners may remember was the, the Force <laughs> Awakens. Oh, that's right, that's right. That was yes. our that was our pilot episode, and we said this is what the show is going to be. But we were talking then about Doctor Strange because it was yep. it was on the horizon distantly. But we were at that point, we were still excited, but fearful. Uh, and then every time a trailer would come out or there'd be news, we would we would talk about it because this was the movie that we were both really interested in. But the one that was pulling you toward the genre rather than r- most of them, which propelled you. And you saw them. Yeah. You saw them, you know, with gritted teeth. So, yeah, Dr. No, Strange. I wouldn't say grit. I wouldn't say gritted teeth. No, no. OK, to be fair, okay. I did. I, I did not. I do not go into these films going. All right. God damn it. Make me laugh. Honestly, it's more it's more of a I just want you to be good. Please right. be a, be be a good film. And seven times out of ten, they're at least entertaining. Right. And then the other three times are Zack Snyder films. So exactly. That was the biggest thing, the takeaway this year for me was this was the year that I was finally able to accept that superheroes can also be legitimately good films. Well, they have to be. I have gotten over my own inherent prejudice this year, so I'm proud of myself. I'm no longer prejudiced, yay me. Well, the genre is definitely maturing, and it it has to, because people keep uh, predicting that we've hit peak superhero and it's going to start to degrade. I don't think we have uh, because I I think it's going through different phases. Uh, The early phase, (laughs) the early phase was, Oh, phase one. Yes. Phase one. If I may borrow uh, a term of art really was, Oh, Hey, now it's possible to do it. We have the technology. It's the Steve Austin effect. You, You know, we, you don't have to wear a baggy or stupid Lycra costume. Uh, like Reb Brown in the first iteration of Captain America, or uh, what was the guy's name? The fr- the guy who played oh, Spider-Man, oh. Nicholas... Nicholas Hammond. Thank you, Nicholas Hammond, in that Spider-Man oh, TV I, I watched the shit out of that show when I was growing up, so... You, you were, yes, you were right in the... the I was, the, yeah, yeah, once again, that was the only thing that was on TV at the time, and it was genre, so I had to watch it. Exactly, you had no choice. But... Uh, we we reached a point with uh, with uh, movie making technology where now it's not a chore to make these films. Now you you re- really can do anything. And then that took us to phase two because once the audience realizes you can do anything, they're not owing and nine all the time. If you do something impressive, yes, they will, but it can't simply be spectacle. It has to be a great sequence. It has to be expressed in action or in character. And then backed up by amazing visuals. I mean, we were talking about, John and Blanche and I were talking about Coco. And I said, and I firmly believe this, that Coco was the most stunningly beautiful animated film I've ever seen. But if it hadn't had engaging characters 
and this cultural story that that enfolded me despite its its unfamiliarity it would have been looking you know it's it's like i liken it to looking into a viewmaster yeah it's cool for the first three clicks then it's like okay yeah look redwoods in 3d i'm done it wouldn't have mattered how stunning it looked if it hadn't had a great story so i think i think we're at the point now where superhero movies have to grow up and and have to include those elements and stress those elements if they're going to justify the enormous amount of money they spend on these things. Yeah. Well, all right. So, Scott, your first thing that made you happy. Give me give me another reason to get through next year. This is also something that happened at the beginning of the year, and I thought was a good omen. Oh, how wrong I was. The Return of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Ah, uh, ha, 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 Okay. All right. Okay. It, it just warms the cockles of my heart for a lot of reasons. Again, longtime listeners know it's my favorite TV series ever. It's got a lot of personal significance to me. Uh, Mary and I met at, at a screening of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, the motion picture. I've got friends to this day that I sort of met through uh, MST3K fandom. And it, it was not just fun to have it back. It was encouraging that people who want to honor the spirit of something can do so, which I find encouraging because so much stuff is just reanimated, rebooted, revived, dragged kicking and screaming from the grave. And so much of it is just uh, cynical and opportunistic. And Mystery Science Theater was a labor of love. It was done by the people who loved it. And all the new people were people who grew up with it and had a, had a similar affection for it that I do. So while it, it it's not exactly the same experience and certainly couldn't be because it's all second generation professionals and young comedians who live in L.A. and have a different perspective. It's not six to eight Midwesterners sitting in a room in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. But it still had that feel. I enjoyed uh, the new season and I was thrilled by the, to me, rather uh, brutally and abusively belated announcement that they've got another season coming up, season 12 on Netflix. Yep. And you enjoyed yep. it. You enjoyed it too, right? Oh, a- absolutely. Like I said, I mean, it has the same issue that I have always had with movie riffs. I, I-, I think they're too long, but um, that's just me. Um, I-, I-, I loved it this year more than anything else. The songs I thought were amazing, and I finally found out why. All of the songs this year were written by Paul and Storm. The most specifically, of course, Every Nation Has a Monster. Right, which was the first song done in the first episode, Reptilicus. And, and, and they wanted to shock people. They wanted to slap you across the face with music and say, this is how it's going to be. And I, I give credit to Joel Hodgson because he knew going in that he wanted music to be a big element. He, he recognized that the songs from, from Mystery Science Theater, which were you know, often just sort of cobbled together at the last minute, were still something that the fans really loved. And that was that was part of how the tradi- the tradition was transmitted. And I think that was one of the first things he asked uh, Jonah, the new host, can you sing? And Jonah Heston's response to Joel was, ah, as good as you can. Yeah, that was, that was his response. Enough. And actually, that was in the video. That was in the video that I watched where um, Jonah Heston then said, but what Joel didn't ask him was if he could rap. 
Right. Jonah had no idea that that first song was going to be a rap until apparently until they got it. Songwriter and me got a got a literally a, a dick so hard you could cut diamonds with it. That song. Well, you know, the lyrics and that are fucking brilliant. That song reminds me a little bit of of uh, some of the songs you've shared so far uh, from Frogs, the musical. I'm not going to lie. I felt the same way. I did. I was now, like, all right, this is this is something I would write. This is a me song. I love this. I can't remember if you if we've talked about this on the show. I, did you say your your favorite song was that kind of Beach Boys pastiche that they did in the theater during Star Crash? In Star Crash. Yes. I absolutely adored that just because it was something that they'd never done on the show before. Yeah. Actually doing a full-blown song in the theater had never been done. And that one and Monsters are probably my two favorites for different reasons. But no, everything about this revival made me very happy. I mean, I love, I love the chemistry between Pat Oswalt and Felicia Day. All of them together are just astoundingly funny. They are just as good together as Frank Conniff and Trace Blue, or hell, even the holy trinity of, you know, Pearl Bobo and Brain Guy. Yeah, I never liked Pearl Bobo and Brain Guy as much. But... I know you didn't. That we can agree to disagree on. Right. No, I hate you. That's it. I I don't want I'm ta- I want this show taken out of canon. <laughs> That's it. I disagree with you on that. We're taking this show out of canon. No, now. no. In, in order for that, in order for it to officially be removed from canon, you Do have, I have to start you, a change. You have you have any? to you you have to have an online poll, and it has to be as oh, unscientific as possible, and it has to be <laughs> it has to be easily gamed, and it has to attract Russian bots. I mean, come on, man. Put the effort in. You're right. You're right. I'm such a bad Star Wars fan. Anyway. <laughs> yes, I'm laughing about it now. I wasn't a week ago. Anyway. <laughs> no, I was, I, I freely admit, um, you did the right thing. You and Mrs. C did the right thing and watched them on a weekly basis. I did not. Um, I watched all of them except the Christmas episode when? in a, in a, uh, in a rush. When did you see the Christmas episode? Closer to Christmas. Yeah, we, we watched it on Christmas. Okay. All right. All right. Now, I watched it the week of Christmas. That was as long as I could wait. It was good. It wasn't, it doesn't measure up to the, to the other previous holiday classics. I mean, few shows at all measure up to uh, their rendition of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. That, yes, that is very, that is very true. Oh, and by the way, um, I am now going to do some shameless whoring for Rift Tracks. You hear me there, guys? Um, if you didn't know this, they have officially added um, Mary Jo Peel, a former ass jammy, and um, Bridget Nelson, who played many characters on the show and is married to Michael J. Nelson, have started doing um, shorts on Rift Tracks. The newest Christmas release is actually the two of them and i have to say i have been getting i've been getting a lot of the shorts lately on rifttracks.com because they're so damn cheap yes they are a lot of you get for 99 cents and i think shorts are the perfect length for this style of humor hence why my commentaries were never that long but that's a discussion for another day i honestly do think shorts are where this style of humor is perfect I think that is this is the perfect length for these type of things. The shorts always were for me the funniest parts of of Mystery Science Theater. A lot of people I mean, feel for that the way. Most part, 
Okay, all right. I don't feel that bad, but um, I, I've been getting a lot of the shorts, and I do have to say that um, the Bridget and Mary Jo's ones are really, really funny. And the one thing that I love about them that you really don't get a lot with uh, Kevin, Mike, and Bill is Bridget and Mary Jo laugh. Yes, they do. I like that. I like that. It just seems like they're they seem to like be having a lot more fun with it, if that makes sense. They do sound like two uh, slightly jaded Midwestern ladies, you know, sitting there with with a cup of Sanka and a lark. Uh, well, you know what? It works. It works. There is a there is one of the shorts that um that is out there. It's called A Word to the Wives. Oh, yeah, that was one of the earliest ones they did, I believe. I believe so. Yeah. Um, and I just got that one. And the reason why I just got it is I watched that one get done by a different riffer. Oh, really? There's another guy. He does this thing called fun with shorts. Mm-hmm. And I found that on YouTube and he had done a word to the wives and I'd seen that name and I'm like, Oh, all right. And then I saw it on riff tracks and I'm like, Oh wait, they're doing, okay, let's see what they do. There are certain shorts that I definitely think needed the female perspective and riff tracks is doing it. Now they're hitting the female themed shorts. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. The word to a wife sounds so much better when you've got two women riffing on it. It just does. It sounds funnier. Oh, I, I agree. It's not, and it, not just that it's funnier, but there's a lot of these, these, shorts that are intended to educate housewives or you yeah. know entering a secretary's world or what whatever yes. and they're they're all they're all very earnest and condescending it is funnier to have women reacting to this now a word to the wives isn't is that the one with darren mcgavin uh yes yes it is that's the one with call shacky yep 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 my favorite one that they have done so far they did one on um the changing female body Oh yeah, they're talking. That, that's I think it was produced by Modess, and it's it's the film that the girls would see in the home ec room when the boys would go yeah. to the gym. It, it it is a hoot. If if you peruse the Riff Tracks catalog, you cannot miss it. The short actually has a drawing of a uterus on the cover, so you can see it in the thumbnail. Um, that is one that that I highly recommend. It is very much worth it. But actually, no, I, Scott, I would agree with you on this one. Um, Mystery Science, the Return of Mystery Science Theater, is a very good reason to stay alive, especially now that we are getting a new season. My next one is also along the same lines, and this I actually discovered late this year, and as as, as you know how this year is ending for me, so this was very good for me the last couple of weeks. Um, I discovered a TV show. I discovered Sci-Fi's Happy. Oh, yes, and I discovered Sci-Fi's Happy because you discovered Sci-Fi's Happy. Have you checked it out? What do you mean have I checked it out? You browbeat me into it. You all no, but... we haven't talked about it. We haven't oh. even. I didn't even know you watched it. Yes, I thought I. T- oh, I thought I texted you. No, right. yeah, 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 I yeah. didn't know you've seen it. Yes, oh I... my god. Okay, so what'd you think? Uh, well, originally, uh, Mary and I were going to watch it when we first heard about it, uh, because she likes Christopher Maloney from. Um, of course, as we do. from his show Pervs on Parade or whatever it was called. <laughs> Yeah, and we're both Law and Order Perbs on Parade. I like that. And we're both uh, big Patton Oswalt fans, going back to uh, the mid '90s, where we used to see him at the at alternate comedy night at uh, Largo on Fairfax. Uh, Having seen the first three episodes, I'm really glad that I did not wind up watching it with her because it's definitely not her kind of thing. But it is definitely my kind of thing, dude. That first episode. 
when that within the, that opening five minutes of the first episode when Christopher Maloney blows his brains out, mm-hmm. and there's that weird like rave sequence where he's like dancing while the CG blood is coming out of his head, mm-hmm. and as cheesy as it sounds, it all makes perfect sense, and it is this beautiful what the fuck moment. I'm sitting there going, "What the hell am I watching? This is the most batshit insane couple of hours of television that I have seen." in forever i want to read the comic but i'm going to wait now until after the series is over i don't want to be tainted for this being my first experience with this story i am so in love with this that i i I want to watch it first before i see the original version so jeff does not want a happy taint we know that (laughs) if you take nothing else away from this episode gentle listener remember that I did not want life's a happy taint. That adds a whole new thing to that Muppet song. Anyway, <laughs> if you have not checked it out, you can find it online. Um, it's only going to be eight episodes, so it'll probably be out on DVD or Blu-ray and streaming relatively early because I know it's coming back relatively early in January. Twitter feed always says watch online or at this particular spot, so there's the app for it. But um, also the language is Christopher Maloney says fuck in the first five minutes. Yeah, and then every other word. I could not believe that. I know. I thought, wait, am I streaming this? I've had to look down at the input on the TV. No, no, this is on the DVR. This site, this came over Sci-Fi. So, yep. it's like you don't, you don't have to pay ten dollars for CBS All Access uh, and get the thrill of watching your least favorite Star Trek characters say fuck. You can watch people you don't know at all on Sci-Fi say fuck. Fuck is just out there. Fuck is everywhere now. And I was. I was shocked by it, but not as shocked as I was when you talked about the best basic cable use of the word fuck you'd seen. On Preacher. On Preacher. Uh, And I thought, wait, that's on AMC. Did they really say fuck? And apparently, yes. That one episode. Apparently, one. It was the only time they used it. It was once. Like I said, they earned it. They earned it. So that's that's the other thing you can take away from this. Uh, Jeff does not want a happy taint. And if anybody gets to say fuck on TV, it's Adolf Hitler. Hey, Scott, Scott, even before we started this, even back during the days of the boys, you know how I feel about creative profanity. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know exactly how I am with that. Uh, I mean, like I said, that was that that scene in The Preacher. And even and I have to give Happy credit as well. At no, I mean, yes, the language is rough, but at no point did I go, this is too much. It's not everything. Gratu- it's it's not gratuitous. It's not gratuitous. It feels right for it feels right for the universe and the story. Happy is has this grungy, deliberately weird, almost almost kind of a drug fueled uh, yes. feel to it. And like like even though we're watching him and it's not a POV shot, you kind of see like you kind of feel like you're you're uh, looking at everything that happens through the eyes of somebody whose liver is functioning at maybe you know twenty five percent at at best. And, <laughs> and I. And when he says things, when he says shit or fuck, and it's he doesn't push it. He doesn't say, oh, "Okay, here's the one time we're saying it." It's in the same grumbled tone as all the rest of his dialogue. If he were not saying fuck, it would sound fake. I gotta say, as much of a fan of Christopher Maloney as I am, through SVU, through his short-lived sitcom that he had that I can't remember the name of it, that was he fucking brilliant, where he played the dad. He had a well, it was it was 
it was more like um it was more like Malcolm in the Middle. Mm-hmm. It was that style of show and he just played a father of this family and it was it was a brilliant show. It only lasted like 8 to 10 episodes and Walter and I both absolutely loved it. So of course it only lasted 8 to 10 episodes. But I mean, apparently the first time that Christopher Maloney popped up on set in costume for this show Everybody on the set was taken aback because I guess he looks exactly like the cover of the happy graphic novel. Hmm. So this TV series, was it called Surviving Jack? Yes. It didn't even go. I think it only did like eight to ten episodes. Oh, and he was on Wet Hot. He was on Wet Hot American Summer, too. That's true. I forgot about that. So, yeah, he's been doing the weird shit for a while, which which, because he was in the original film as well. Oh, Oz, that's where I first, I think that's where I first saw him. Oh, that's right. I forgot I've seen his penis as well. That's right. Well, let's face it. In Oz, you saw everyone's penis, so it doesn't matter. That's Oz. uh, Oz was the great, you know, it didn't matter who the, what famous person showed up on that show. If you were in Oz, you had to drop trowel. That was kind of awesome. Yeah, I know. And I kind of feel like they really shouldn't have had Judy Garland involved in this. It was kind of dirty. That was kind of a weird minute, but I gave them points. The CG looked a lot better than on Grand Moff Tarkin. (laughs) Sounds like you said Grand Grand Moff Tarkin. (laughs) That's the porn version. That's the porn version. Exactly. Oh, man. But anyway, yes, folks, as I said, if you have not checked out happy i i highly recommend it. you need to watch it from the beginning but watch episode one and as i said on twitter you may hate it with every fiber of your being but i guarantee you have never seen a television show like happy and for that reason alone i think it's worth a check out but uh, no happy is very much like um like the Ron Moore Battlestar Galactica, or going back even farther for me, Max Headroom, a television show that I feel was just made for me. Like whoever created this show got into my mind and said, we need all these elements to make him happy, and boom. So, yeah, it, it is. It, it, happy is officially, for those paying attention, uh, Mike and Ike's new favorite show since Battlestar Galactica. They have finally found a show that they can now say is the second greatest piece of uh, t- um, sci-fi on TV in the history of history, period. All right, Scott, your next reason for not stabbing yourself in the face with a lawnmower. Uh, well, I just don't have that kind of upper body strength anymore. I cannot clean and jerk. Uh, understood okay my final one no just wait go ahead uh okay this is just personal but it's uh, the the whole last half of this year really has fallen apart in a horrendous way Hmm. but uh you know what keeps me going cats (laughs) (laughs) this does not surprise me at all scott i just like cats and I like making fun of them online. Yeah, I got two really peculiar cats, and they provide a certain amount of comfort and amusement. And uh, I pay them back by taking pictures of them and ridiculing them. I feel like that would make me a terrible person if it wasn't for the fact that if cats could become human and had the same personalities, they would, in every case, be horrible people. So I feel like... (laughs) 
<laughs> feel like there's a meeting of the mind, and I'm just gonna here's just advertising. Um, if if you want to see any of this stuff, go to World O Crap, WorldOcrap dot com. Uh, look on the right side of the screen under labels. There's a tab called Wild Things. Click on that, and there are several years worth of cat humiliation and enjoy. Sounds like some weird sex videos you got going on there, Scott. I know it's not. We have cat humiliation. Oh, speaking of weird sex videos. Uh oh. So I saw yesterday. Uh, I was working on uh, the sequel to Bear Living Through Bad Movies, and I. Yay! Thank you. I got through, and this was not easy. Dungeons and Dragons, and it stars a bunch of people who looked like they might be going somewhere in two thousand and went nowhere, but. It also stars uh, Jeremy Irons. I was about to ask if this was a Jeremy Irons one. It is. And the interesting thing about it is in every single scene he's in, he appears as though he's being sodomized without lube just off camera. It's that kind of performance. (laughs) And you can't you can't tell if he's enjoying it or not. And I think I, I think perhaps even he is not sure. But. There's this feeling of, um, you know how in uh, Batman v Superman and in Justice League, uh, Jeremy Irons plays Alfred and he plays it in a very quiet, low energy, low key. And I think it's not an acting choice. I think he hurt himself giving this performance in Dungeons and Dragons. I think he gave himself a thespic hernia. Ooh. I think... I think he was overacting so hard, he ruptured something, and from then on, had to be subtle on doctor's orders. <laughs> Seriously. It's constant off-screen buggery from the first frame to the last. So if that's the kind of thing you'd like to see, this is the kind of place to see it. Dungeons & Dragons 2000. Ah, no, that's okay. I, I, I didn't, I did not want to see that when that sucker popped up to begin with, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I need, I, I, I miss cats. I, I had cats for the longest time. And oh, did you? after the, Oh God. Yeah. Even though I'm a dog person, I've had mm-hmm. cats for forever, but, um, we had, we had two cats that we had for basically ever and they both died within a year of each other. Uh, that Once happens- the one died. Yeah, it, yeah, happens. they've been together their entire lives, and once the one died, the the, the youngest one died first, and then mm-hmm. a year later, the old the older one died, and after that, I just haven't been able to get a new pet. Yeah, that that tends to happen with cats and grandparents. Yeah, yeah, very true, very, very, very true. Um, I I freely admit I, I I would like to get a dog again, but I will probably wind up getting a cat just because they are much more my style of pet because they don't care about you and like toying with you before you die. All right. And my, my last thing that I can say, um, made me happy this year is, um, this is kind of a weird thing, but it definitely kept me sane. Um, I discovered reading books again. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. These books are these amazing things. It's, it's like reading. It's like, you know how you read on your phone. You can do it, except you actually turn pages as opposed to like flipping a screen. I've also heard uh, it's fundamental. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But like this year, it, it had been, I freely admit it had been a long time since I had read. Um, I've read a couple of things on my phone, but this year I, I, I got back into books. 
I I read. Uh, let's see here. I read Clive Barker's The Scarlet Gospels. Um, of course, I read Larry Blamire's Suburb on the Edge of Never. Yes, of course. Which oh sweet prom fuck that book made me so happy. Well, I mean, we talked about it with Larry, but wasn't it the, just the most yeah. amazing just well, mashup? Was, I hadn't yeah. read it. I hadn't read it yet. So the reason why I'm so happy that like I reached out to Larry way back in the Mike and Ike phases. Like once again, this man writes like I want to write this man concocts word salad that, that that I would give someone else's organ to be able to write this way and there are sentences in this book that that just made me gleefully happy I would turn the page the wonderful tactile sensation of turning a page and reading three lines and then giggling incessantly or with the scarlet gospels tur- the, the tactile f- sensation of turning a page and going oh Oh, fuck. There's something about just holding a book in your two hands that that I missed it. I thoroughly enjoy reading again. It, it, it kept me sane. I will say that definitely in the last couple of weeks, uh, Larry's book helped a lot, shall we say, keeping me sane. And I am going to do that again. I actually just ordered a couple of Tom Robbins books uh. from Amazon. Yeah, I, I, I need me some Robin's fix. And I think uh, once we get into the new place, that's going to be like my uh, thing to myself is getting a library again. But yes, reading and, and reading books is, is, was just a thoroughly enjoyable thing. And in a way, this was sort of me plugging Larry's book again because, oh my God, it was so good. You know, it's funny. It's the, the, the way he writes, it's like, okay, it would be scary to think like this. Yes, the internal complexity of these of these jokes piling on top of each other, sometimes in a single sentence. It's so twisted and so clever and so ornate that it's sort of like that M.C. Escher uh, lithograph of the people walking up the same flight of stairs in opposite directions oh, upside yep. down, except except one of them tripped and fell. <laughs> so yes, reading and yes, Larry, uh, the the suburb on the edge of nowhere. You kept me sane this year, Larry. Congratulations. With something crazy, that's hard to do. Yes, yes, your insanity kept me sane. So well done. I'm not gonna lie, reading that book just made me want to write more comedy again because I miss I miss writing my word salad. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. I that, do. That was the one thing that that was the one I won't say negative, but the one totally um, self-serving thing that I got from reading Suburb was I'm like I I, I okay I, I want to write my word salad now I want I want to construct sentences that make me laugh I haven't done it in a while I know I haven't done it in a while and there've been reasons why I haven't done it in a while but that this book actually made me want to get back into it again Oh that just made me think of something. I would like to make a request that as we conclude with our three things that make us happy we're not dead, <laughs> or however we phrased it, uh, I, would like, for government work. I would like us each to pick one thing that we hope this year will bring us, we look forward to, that will make this year produce the same effect. All right. I got you. I got you. All right. But anyway, you have your last thing. All right. My last thing is, is uh, the Harvey Weinstein controversy. The fact that it actually finally came out? Well... Yes, because there was this sense of just Hollywood and movie making and the dream factory just spinning its wheels, that there there were changes that seemed on the verge of happening, but 
we never got over, over the verge. It's like so many things are moving at such a glacial pace. And it needed, a, however horrible, it needed something to shake up the system. And I was thinking about after we saw Wonder Woman and we talked about it, I think, on the show, about how having a woman director made a difference with that movie and how happy I was that it was such a big success because had it been a failure, that would have just that would have guaranteed the status quo of, well, nobody really wants to see And it would have made James Cameron very happy, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, fuck him. And, <laughs> and I really want to see more women directors. I want to see more women in decision. Although there are women behind the scenes. There are a lot. I, when I would go in to pitch things, there are a lot of women in the development end of things. Although okay. I don't know how much decision-making power they have and different there is different energy in a room when you're talking with women there is less of this sort of raw competitiveness there's less of there's more of a of a chance to have a dialogue rather than just you know frantically trying and get your words in edgewise there it's just maybe it's just because Maybe it's just my personality, but I, I've been more comfortable with that. And I've always felt like that's what film needs. Because if men remain the the dominant echelon in movies, we're not going to get to the next stage. Whatever waits for it, because the, the, the film gestalt has changed. Indie films, again, have sort of died off. There are no middle movies anymore. Nobody will take a chance on a, for instance, a um, romantic comedy anymore. That's a genre I kind of miss because there's there's still people doing good. I mean, the big sick. There's still room to do smart, innovative, funny things in the romantic comedy genre. But to do these kind of films, I mean, there are genres like that that don't have to be either these these depressing mumblecore indies or these eye popping multi million dollar spectacles. I miss the movies in the middle. And we need to find some way to get back to that. But the way financing is is structured now, the way decision-making in Hollywood uh, is structured, that's not going to happen unless there is some sort of creative destruction where the whole thing falls apart and then we rebuild from the ashes. And as shocking and horrible as it was to hear the stories that came out because of the the Harvey Weinstein uh, controversy, and then, well, not even controversy, I mean, scandal. There's nothing controversial about it. Uh, there is there is yeah. no, it's not like, oh, there's good people on both sides. No, no, there's an asshole in this. No, there's no, victims. no. So we needed something to, to flip it up. It feels like things are changing. And part of the reason is because all of this is in the news, people are reexamining their attitudes. People are on their best behavior now. However insincere they may be about it, there's still going to be, still going to be benefits. I mean, I, I worked with a woman director for the first time this year. And I can't even tell you how many movies that I've worked on since I started, I think, in 2003. And just now, in 2017, I worked with a woman director for the first time. That's fucking ridiculous. Wow, that is kind of fucking ridiculous. It is, exactly. So I don't know where things are going to go. The system has has fallen on its face. But what I'm very interested to see, and I'm somewhat hopeful, that when it finally gets up and dusts itself off, it's going to be different and it's going to be better. So I'm hoping something good comes out of this. I, I feel like it has to. You're a only- better you're a better man than me, Scott. I, well, I'm definitely the grumpy McGrump nuts this year because I don't see it. I understand that. And I'm usually, you know, I can be pessimistic. I think this things will have to be better because you things cannot be hidden anymore. Once it's out. Okay. 
once it's out, you have to deal with it. And a lot yeah. of people will choose not to, but they won't have that choice after a certain point. So that was something that gives me hope that next year would be better. And yes, next year we'll probably we'll probably see more of these revelations and we'll probably hear more bad things about people we thought were good. But hopefully we're gonna start seeing our entertainment will start to reflect our world more than it does our history. Ooh, well said, sir. Well, well said. Thank you. That was nice. All right then. Um, since since you mentioned, since you put in your 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 little addendum, um, I will go first with the addendum. And actually, this is this is going to sound really kind of cheesy, or maybe it won't. I don't know. But one of the things that I want to do to try and make 2018 a, a, a better year, we'll go with it that way, is I sincerely, sincerely hope that Frogs the Musical will be done. Ah, ah, ah. Okay, Let, let's not even bother with uh, the suspense. That was my wish. That was what I was going to say. I had a feeling, so I decided to beat you the punch there. Ha ha ha. But no, that is, I want to, hopefully, I, the music will be done so I can officially start giving like the whole thing to people going, here it is. That's something I cannot wait to read. I cannot wait to hear the, the other songs. And uh, if it comes out, it will make me happy. I want this one to be done so I can officially start work on Shish the Octopus. <laughs> because that is going to be the next one. Good, because I, I I really don't think that I really don't think they nailed it. <laughs> well, what sucks is, and it will actually be better for the overall thing that I'm doing with these little one act musicals is I cannot find the film anywhere. All I've seen is the trailer for it. It's really tough. I tried to track it down once too, and if only to to, to settle the question is uh, is it somebody who's terrified of octopuses and says and sees one and says shh. Octopus, it's right there on the other side of the glass. Or no, is is it somebody who is tired of that babbling, talky, loudmouthed octopus and just says to his friend, "Shush, the octopus. Tell that fucker to shut up." <laughs> I will. I, I I will. I will make that. Um, I will make that distinction. But I've already decided. I, I like like I said since um since uh Sondheim wrote Frogs the musical based on one review and a picture um he will have written Shush the Octopus based on the trailer that works for me by the way for people who don't know what we're talking about Shush the Octopus is a 1937 comedy i guess comedy mystery yeah yeah it's like, it's one of those it's one of those um two reporters stumble onto what what may be a supernatural threat but in the end turns out to be just a guy in a it's a scooby-doo movie basically right it's it's basically it's an, scooby-doo it, where are you the movie it's an old dark house movie except it's an old dark lighthouse and it was and as i as i had like just i wanted and instead originally, of like a killer bat you know, it's always it's always a it's always a mysterious masked figure called the bat or something like that. Yep. Uh, but this, I think, this guy dresses up like an octopus, or there is an octopus. And in the the octopus might be a henchman. I don't know. I was going to say there is an octopus in the film, but originally I had wanted to hunt this down. Are we as... sure this isn't a lost film? I don't know. I genuinely don't know because I would have loved to have done it for um, the UMC, but now I'm kind of glad that I didn't find it because now I can just be completely, just do whatever the fuck I want with the musical. Okay. Oh, hey, 
No, I just you know, it. I mean, once, with, here you go. Once thought, thought to, once thought to be lost, now available on DVD through Warner Archives. Ooh, all right. I may have to hunt it down then. Yeah. I may actually have to order that. Now, the one major difference, I will even tell you this, those of you who've been following this this last year uh, will know that with Frogs, I'm I'm doing each song is sort of like a different 70s genre. We have, you know, like the folk song, I Can Tina Turner. We have ABBA. Um, Shush the Musical is going to be a little bit different. Um, the other the other ones, I, I haven't decided what style it's going to be yet, but it's not going to be a... I love this word, a cornucopia of musical styles, as Frogs is. It will be different than that. Might have a unifying theme, perhaps? Mayhaps, mayhaps not. We shall see. I have any, uh, like, once I, once I finish the book of Frogs, and I, with a book of Frogs, sounds like a lost book of the Bible. Um, <laughs> it's part, of, it's part of the, the Apocrypha. <laughs> once i finished that book um i kind of was like all right i know i want to do more of these but i need to like take some time off and then of course my life went to shit so kind of hard to get back on that horse but that's going to be the other thing with 2018 is is getting over the flack of 2017 and getting back on the horse because god's damn it i am not going to let life get me all right let that be our motto for this year yeah life Fuck you! You're not gonna get me. All right. Well, now, and now on you, that note, now you're just taunting it. Now, now, now you're asking for it. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Never mind. Never mind. I will cower before you, life. Anyway, <laughs> folks, it is now. By the time you hear this, it will probably be 2018. We hope you have a much better year than last year because I'm pretty sure unless you are a um, old, white, rich uh, Republican, you've had kind of a crappy year. So we, I apologize. I hope 2018 is better. Scott, I hope 2018 is better for you. I hope 2018 is better for everyone because God knows what it's going to be like if it gets any worse. Yeah, yeah. But on that note, Scott, another year, another pleasure. Absolutely. Same to you. And we will see you relatively soonish with a new season, a new theme, new guests, new movie challenges, both unknown and new, and new more of the same shit that we've been doing. <laughs> But this year is over, and I am so fucking glad. Thanks for listening to us. Don't be a stranger. Just be strange.